All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family this cloudy Sunday morning, online worshiping, in the field worshiping. Good to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Uh, great news to celebrate, fun to hear uh, just a little bit of Emily's God story and the way she has responded to a way that God was leading in her life. In the life of the church family, I want you to be aware, Pastor Grace Seegers, his wife Annika, welcomed their baby girl into the world on Monday. So he'll look tired for a little while, but he'll still do great, so we know that. Congratulations to them, little Caroline. Uh, and then if you would be praying for an opportunity that I and my friend Pastor Michael Flowers have, we've been doing this Striving for Unity conversation since, since the summer, and we have been invited to, well, so in our county or in this area, if you work for any police department but Charlotte, you are trained at Central Piedmont Community College, uh, CPCC. Pastor Flowers and I have been invited on Tuesday morning to have a conversation with the cadets about policing and how policing can benefit the community and specifically communities of color or, or not. And so what an honor to be invited into that space and to continue that striving for unity conversation in that particular space. So you can be in prayer for us that we will on Tuesday morning be full of grace and truth. That would be wonderful. Speaking of grace and truth, I want to tell you a story. Some years ago, a few days before Christmas, I'm sitting in the church office. A man walks in. He's holding two thin white candles. This is an important detail. He's holding two thin white candles. I think, what in the world is this? He sits down. He starts to tell me some of his story. He and his wife are having a tough time. It stems largely from the fact this is the first year she won't be with her extended family on Christmas. They're having such a tough time, in fact, and this man is so at his wit's end that he listened to a recent sermon on the church website. All right, that's pretty desperate. He'd never been to the church, but he knew a few people who came and he trusted them, and so he listened to this sermon. The sermon, as luck would have it, was about Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. <laughs> Just what he needed to hear. But it emphasized that particular sermon, walking humbly with God having a relationship with God where God was in control, where God set the agenda. And he realized that's what he needed. He had made messes in his life by the way he was always trying to set the agenda. He realized he needed God to set the agenda. And so he walked into the open arms of Jesus and received eternal lasting forgiveness and new life, abundant and everlasting life. He was going to let God set the agenda. This had happened days ago, and now here he is walking in the church office with two thin white candles. He realized he needed to make Christmas as special as possible for his wife, to love her well, to start living less about him and more about God. And something she had always found meaningful at her extended family's Christmas celebration is that they would light a holy candle. This is what he remembered. He didn't know much about all the details, but he knew they would light a holy candle, and that was really meaningful to his wife. So he had gone to the store, and they did not have holy candles. 
but they had candles. I was a pastor. Could I make them holy? Now let's review. This is one of those moments I do wish Pastor Gray was in the office because I would have just called down to him. He's great at solving these kind of issues. Well, so the answer to the man's question depends on what you mean by the word holy. Holy means set apart in purity for a sacred purpose. Set apart in purity for a sacred purpose. For example, when we baptize people next week, we're going to use just plain old water. It's just water. We're going to get it out of the hose over there. It's just water. And yet, through prayer and through faith, we set aside that water from its common purpose to a sacred purpose. So as I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to answer this man's question, the Holy Spirit, by some grace, reminded me of that example, and I realized, I think we can make these candles holy. <laughs> so what we did is we celebrated the man's newfound faith in Jesus, for which all of eternity rejoices, I put my arm around him. This is before COVID. You were allowed to do that. I put my arm around him, held the candles in this arm, hand here, and prayed that God would use these candles for the special and sacred purpose of showing his wife that he loved her and that God was pointing his life in a new direction. Amen. Voila. Holy candles. This is what I call doing theology on the fly. Right, where you have to think, and you do this all the time. You do this better than I do because you live in the real world most of the time. How, how do I show the grace, the love, and truth of Jesus to this person who's in front of me? How do I love them with grace and with truth in this moment? When there's no playbook and I just feel like I'm making it up as I go, how do I do that well? And I love the way you do that. And I love the way that so many folks who don't know the right Christian words but are hungry for God, are with us and among us. Some of you, that's a description of you. And for others of you, you're just a trusted guide to people like that. And they ask questions like, here's a candle. Can you make it holy? I love that. And I love that about each of you, how you love the people in your lives. Today, we are continuing a series of sermons that that story will relate to. The, the series of sermons is called, But You Are. We are reflecting on our theme verse from 1 Peter 2.9. In fact, we are trying to memorize this verse. So say it with me and don't look to the extent that you can at this point. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our series is about identity, that there are so many voices telling us who we are and what we should be doing, and into all these voices walks Jesus, fully God and fully human, so that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, what he offers us is eternal forgiveness, eternal purpose, eternal security, reconciled relationship to God, our Father who is in heaven. With that comes a new identity an eternal identity. Jesus is offering us, God offers all of us a new identity in Jesus Christ. God offers us this identity individually, but he offers us this identity collectively. God offers us a new identity in Jesus Christ. God breaks through all the voices telling us who we are and what we should be doing. Voices from our past, 
voices of things we tell ourselves, what advertisements and mentors and disruptors and loved ones and those we used to love tell us. God breaks through all of it and says to followers of Jesus, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Today, we want to look at what it means to be a holy nation. I started the first week with chosen people. Last week, Holly did a royal priesthood. This week, I'm going to do holy nation. If you're a, a, a betting person, you might be able to bet what we're preaching on next week. What does it mean that as a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of a holy nation? What does it mean that as all of Jesus' followers together, we are a holy nation? I don't know what you've been told or what you believe about yourself, but God says you are part of a holy nation. Now the truth is, 1 Peter is not the first time in the Bible that God talks about being a holy nation. In the second book of the Bible, Thousands of years before 1 Peter was written, God said these words to Moses, like the Moses. God was speaking to Moses. And in Exodus chapter 19, God tells Moses, the Israelite people are his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Does this sound familiar? You would accuse God of plagiarism, except that he wrote both of them just through different people. Peter reiterates what God, the promise God made back in Exodus 19. But this time it's a little bit different. Because what Christians believe is that Jesus Christ threw open the doors of God's family to include all people. That yes, God has a redemptive plan for the world and it started with Abraham. It started with his descendants. It started with a family of people. The Hebrew people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And Christians believe that Jesus, as a Jew, as a descendant of Abraham, as a member of that redemptive family, Jesus was the culmination of God's promise to redeem the whole world. Through his life and his suffering and his death, he offered himself as the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, a sacrifice so great that it could win forgiveness for the entire world, for everyone who would come to follow him. And then God vindicated him through his, never forget this part, his resurrection. What began as a redemptive plan through one people group through Jesus has been extended to all people. What I'm saying is that as Christians, we are stumbling into an inheritance that we did not earn. That's a good moment for the sun to come out. As Christians, we are stumbling into an inheritance that we did not earn. Jesus gives us our new identity as a gift. The words that God said to Moses thousands of years ago, he now says to all of us through Jesus Christ. So yes, the truth is, Christians and, and most Jews disagree on whether or not Jesus is the culmination of God's redemptive plan. And yet, even though we disagree on that, we still have a deep love for our Jewish cousins. And in fact, in preparing this sermon, I, I dialed into what a few rabbis had written on the subject of being a holy nation, because that's in their scriptures, their scriptures too. They've reflected on that too. And so specifically, I, I dialed into a, a rabbi named Barel Wine, 
who has a very nice piece on the internet if you'd like to read more called what does it mean to be a holy nation you might figure out how i how I found it followers of jesus what does it mean that together we are a holy nation what does that mean to be a holy nation a citizen of a holy nation. Well, I'm going to start with the word nation, then I'm going to move back to the word holy. All right? We're good? Let's do it. Nation is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos, from which we get our English word ethnicity. Ethnos. Christians are a nation, an ethnos, an ethnicity, a new people group is what this is saying. Christians are a country, but not one with geographic borders, not one with a shared language, not one with one uniform culture. Unfortunately, we don't have a national bird or a state flower. Our anthem that we sing is the goodness of God, and sometimes we sing it while standing, and sometimes while kneeling, and sometimes with our hands in the air. In this nation, what God says goes. But God is not a tyrant. God invites questions. God invites doubts. God invites our disagreements. All the while continuing to point us in his desired direction. In this nation, there is always room for one more person. The path to citizenship is easy. Well, in fact, the path to citizenship is hard and it's expensive for Jesus. But because of that, it is easy and accessible to you and me. Jesus signs each citizenship request in his own blood, and he does so once we're convinced that that signature is all we need to be part of God's family. You being in this nation makes us better. Your skills and gifts help us to better love the people of this world. And your shortcomings and struggles make us more loving people. This nation is better for having you in it. So followers of Jesus are a nation, a people group, an ethnicity, all our own. The truth is, with that being true, you can still love the geographic country you live in. You can love being an American. You can love the geographic country that you came from. You can be proud of your heritage. You can be proud of your ethnicity. You can say, as the theologian James Brown once did, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Now, I cannot say that. But many Christians can. It's all part of who you are. It's part of who God made you to be. And God loves the diversity. In fact, God reached out to each one of us in our distinctiveness. And yet, none of these become our primary identity as followers of Jesus. They become secondary matters of identity. Our primary identity is that we belong to Jesus. We are citizens of his holy nation. And we hold that identity primarily, which then allows us to enjoy all of our other identities for what they are. To love them more deeply and see them more clearly, but not ask them to carry the weight of why we have value. You don't have value because you live in the United States. You have value because you're a citizen of God's holy nation. Now, as a church, and Emily's story gets into some of this, as a church, one of the things we do is send people and money to Christian ministries and missionaries throughout the world. It's current, it's, it's 10% of our budget. To Nigeria and Bolivia and the Bahamas, into the Himalayas, helping translate the Bible into a language that doesn't have a translation of the Bible. 
in each of these places, just like in Athens County, Ohio, just like what we do here in Charlotte, what we're doing in college campuses around the country, what we're doing is linking arms with other people who are in Jesus' holy nation. One without borders. One, one, one without one shared culture. We link hands with our fellow citizens, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, to care for the world around us and to welcome new people into this holy nation. Jesus promised to us is that his good news, his new holy ethnos is going to reach out to every ethnos of the world. That eventually the holy nation that Jesus is in charge of will contain people from every nation on earth. Jesus' ethnos will be comprised of people from every ethnos. And we get to be part of that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of Jesus' holy nation. You have a unity with people across this globe and throughout history that you did not previously have. You are a part of the, the movement in human history least constrained by geography or culture, which is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. You are part of the holy nation. What does it mean then to be holy? This is really the emphasis of the day. What does it mean to be holy? Do you remember? Set apart in purity for a sacred purpose. I'm going to talk about all three of those points, and then I'll be done. All right? Set apart. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. At the passage Billy read for us earlier, 1 Peter 2.10 once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus, holy nation, Jesus, holy ethnos. Every time I say it, I just imagine Robin saying to Batman, holy ethnos, Batman. Jesus, holy nation, his holy ethnos is a group of people set apart, marked as distinct from the world around us. Rabbi Beryl Wine says this, A holy nation must therefore mean a nation that is able to retain its unique identity. It cannot be swallowed up by the prevailing and ever-changing majority cultures that will always surround it. In other words, the, the holy nation is set apart. It's distinct. That doesn't have to mean standoffish. It just means distinct that we've received God's mercy through Jesus Christ. And so we were once not a people, but now thanks to Jesus, we are a people. We are God's people called together across borders, unified as God's holy nation. So holy means set apart in purity. Set apart in purity. 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So God's people, unified through Jesus' mercy to us, are called to be set apart, distinctive, maybe even peculiar, but peculiar in a good way. And what the Bible is saying is set apart, distinctive, peculiar in our purity. In our purity. Distinctive in our values and in the integrity with which we live our lives. Rabbi Wine writes, Holiness requires the ability to care for everyone while remaining apart from everyone. 
at one and the same time. Peter says it a little bit differently. Peter is referring to his readers as foreigners and exiles. He refers to you as a foreigner and an exile. Meaning our primary citizenship is in God's kingdom. So wherever you and I live, we're a foreigner there. We're an immigrant there. This place is not our home. We are called to love the people of this culture, but to do so without mindlessly adopting all of the habits and all the values of this culture. The society around us has all kinds of habits and cultures and customs. God calls his people in the holy nation to have certain customs and values and habits. You and I have to decide what we're going to base our lives off of. Are we going to do what we desire to do? Are we going to do what the culture around us desires us to do? Or are we going to do what God desires us to do? And God points us to the way of purity. Purity, by which we mean not only purity in our actions, but purity in our motives. Not simply the things we do honor God, but that we go about those things in a way that honors God. Now, God is not demanding that you be perfect, certainly not that you be holier than thou. God has declared us holy through our faith in Jesus. We are citizens of a holy nation, and as a loving parent does, he just speaks our identity over us as an invitation to live into it. He speaks our identity over us as an invitation to live into it. So, on whose values will we base our lives? Because the truth is, I want to do all kinds of things that don't honor God and don't show love to my neighbor. Societies around the world want to do all kinds of things that don't honor God and don't show love to our neighbors. And God offers us unchanging desires and invites us to base our lives on those. For example, some of God's desires. Love people and use money, not vice versa. Love people and use money. Love your enemies. Pray for those who come against you. That hope is not easy. But hope is always the way to go. That, that God encourages us to be quick to serve others, quick to love others, to love others unconditionally, to love others as brothers and sisters. And yet at the same time, to reserve uh, sexual intimacy or physical intimate love only for the commitment of marriage. God teaches us that all people have inherent value. That no action on our part and no action on their part can take that away. You and I are invited to do what the man with the candles did. We are invited to realize that we need a relationship with God where he is in control, where he sets the agenda. And so as we learn more about God by studying the scriptures, by talking with more mature Christians, as we learn more about God, we are invited to start to base our lives and our decisions on God's desires, to be set apart in our purity, to be set apart in the way that we live our lives according to the values that God lays out for us. In other words, you and I are invited to trust Jesus just enough to do what he says. You and I are invited to trust Jesus just enough to do what he says. 
coming down the home stretch because you realize we've done set apart in purity the last piece for a sacred purpose. Holy means set apart in purity for a sacred purpose. 1 Peter 2.12 Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Rabbi Wine wrote, We are all teachers by example, if not by profession. How we act influences our children, our neighbors, our customers, and our co-workers. So when Jesus proclaims to you as his followers that you together, we together are a holy nation, a holy ethnos made up across borders of people of every ethnos on earth, he is saying he has a sacred purpose for your life. I do not want to skip over that. God has a sacred purpose for your life. Your life. Not my life. Not just my life. Your life. The purpose is you and I are called to point people to God. We are called to point people to God. And not just by having a religious bumper sticker. Not just by praying before you chow down at the Taco Bell. I mean the kindred trying to get those kindred gift cards coming in we are invited to be distinct in the way we live our lives distinct in a way that is noticeable and refreshing that says look at what god can do look at what happens when we live our lives in line with god's desires you are invited to be a success story. You're invited to be a God story, a living God story, a living example of how God transforms people's lives. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you need to pretend to be perfect. The Bible is saying that as God transforms you from the inside out, as God makes you distinctive, may not standoffish, but distinctive, aligning our actions to his desires, as God lets you live into your sacred purpose as god is transforming you from the inside out live your life authentically to the people around you and by god's grace they will take note we are those candles we were chosen even in our incompleteness we were bought at a price and made holy we were declared holy we were set apart in purity for a sacred purpose and your light is going to shine for some purpose my light will shine for some purpose our lives are going to point to something maybe to ourselves but our lives are going to point to something is there any higher calling than to point our friends and our kids and our parents and our roommates and our professors and our students and our neighbors and our co-workers to what god is really like to how full of grace and truth Jesus truly is. Different than what they may have heard, different than what they may have seen on television or heard reported in the news. Look at my life that you might get a glimpse of what God is really like. Look at your lives that they may get a glimpse of what God is really like. That's a high calling. That's not something that you and I want to take lightly. 
And yet it's not a calling we've assumed on ourselves, is it? We didn't just make this up and decide I'm going to be a holy nation. God, as a loving parent, speaks our identity over us until we internalize it and we start to live it out and live out of our identity. What is that identity? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do those words change how you see yourself and other Christians? That's my wrap-up question. How do those words, 1 Peter 2, 9, change how you see yourself and other Christians? If you've not yet gotten to memorize 1 Peter 2, 9, hey, if it's your first week, that's fine. But if you've been here all three weeks of the series, next week's the last week of the series. So a little effort this week to get these words in our memory. That'd be good. 1 Peter 2, 9. Oh yeah, and you may be wondering what happened with those holy candles. They worked great. They accomplished just the purpose they were set aside for. You and I are those little candles. Chosen in our incompleteness, bought at a price, declared holy. For what will your and my little light shine? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, the old preachers used to say that you love us enough to take us just how we are. You love us so much that you'll take us just as we are, and you love us so much that you won't let us stay that way. I thank you that is exactly who you are. I thank you that your arms are open wide to receive us in no matter the condition of our lives. And yet you also desire more for us. And so you speak over us a new identity. That truth be told, for some of us, seems like a thousand miles away. Year, light years from where we are. In our lives, in our walk with you, in our exploration of you. But Lord, thank you for speaking that new identity over us. Thank you for declaring that we are unified with people across this world and throughout history. 
for declaring that we are called to be distinct from the culture around us while still loving that culture and the people you've put in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for conforming our lives more into the image that you would have us be. Thank you that we don't give up when things get hard, but instead we rely on your strength to persevere. And thank you, Lord, that you're doing something wonderful and sacred through our lives. Lord, I pray we don't lose sight of that. Lord, I thank you most of all that we don't have to be fearful to stand in the, in the presence of a holy God, but that through Jesus Christ, you, the holy God, have come looking for us to reconcile us to you. And so, Lord, for those of us who approach you more through fear than by faith, I pray that today might be a turning point. And that with a greater confidence in Jesus, we would now approach you as our Father who is in heaven, not the boss who's always looking for a reason to fire us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if we can pray for you in any way, we would love to do that. In the field, you can put your prayer requests on cards, put them in the wicker basket. You can also put any tithes and offerings in that wicker basket. Online, you can submit prayer requests. Email them to davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. And anything you're able or willing to give, you can do at lakeforest.org slash give. We love you guys. Let's worship together.